peace and mercy be upon you on this Maundy, Holy Thursday, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John from start to finish, and you may come away with the impression that after Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, everything else leading up to the cross took about three weeks, maybe a month. That's just the way it seems, but that's because the four apostles don't give us the benefit of dates and times for everything that took place, except for a few references to some annual festivals such as the Passover. In reality, though, Jesus traveled, taught, communed with his disciples for three years. Three years. No wonder John says at the end of his book, if everything Jesus did were to be written down, the world couldn't contain the number of books that could be written. Think of all the things Jesus did and said that are not in the Bible. Think of all the meals he had in those three years. Those were most likely the times of bonding and fellowship with his disciples. Think about all the walking they did. Back and forth from Jerusalem to Galilee, a 4,000-foot elevation change between the two places. Not to mention all the walking between Jericho and Capernaum, Nazareth, Bethlehem, and Tyre, way up north near Lebanon. Talk about sore feet and legs and just being worn out. Supper time, as the sun would go down over the hills and the temperature would drop, that would have been the ideal time to kick back at the table, relax, talk, share experiences of the day, and laugh over food and drink. These meals were times in which they experienced meaningful community with their Lord and with each other. For us as well, many times our closest communion with each other is when we eat together. Dinner time at home for some of us may be the only occasion in which mom, dad, and children are together to eat and share each other's experience of the day. Or be looking at, all be looking at something different on your smartphones. You know, even this is a kind of communion in a strange sort of way. But these things, these get, things get even more meaningful when there's a special meal at birthdays, anniversaries, holidays, weddings, even funerals. In each of these events, we gather around food to enrich our relationships and share our love for one another, just as Jesus has told us to do. Now, Jesus delighted in eating and drinking with people, as we have seen these past seven weeks or several weeks of Lent. And I have to give credit to the artist because uh, we, I, I need to be better at doing that. <laughs> this is by Sergei Koda, who, a, a, a Catholic priest and uh, this is called, uh, Everyone is Welcome. Jesus delighted in eating and drinking with people. Doing so expressed his mission to live in fellowship with others. He wasn't an aloof person. For you young people, aloof means you're not friendly or forthcoming. You're cold and distant. Aloof. It's a good word. You should, you should use it more often. 
Now, it was on a Thursday night in Jerusalem that Jesus had his last supper. He knows that he will die the next day. Even though we refer to this Thursday meal as the last supper, we even have a diorama of it here in our church. It won't exactly be his last meal with them. He'll have roasted fish and bread with his friends on the shore of Lake Tiberias after he comes out of the grave on Easter. But in a broader sense, he does something at this Thursday night supper to assure them his communion with them would continue into eternity. And for 20 centuries since that night, we have referred to this meal as Holy Communion. A couple of people have asked me during my time here, Pastor, when my wife and I are having dinner together and we have wine and bread on the table, can we say the words that you say in church and and have communion together? I say, well, of course you can't. Sure, you can have bread and wine with your dinner, and the fellowship between you and your wife will be close and meaningful, no doubt. And you can remember Christ in his supper with his disciples and commemorate it if you wish. You have that freedom as a Christian. But the bread and wine at home is for the nourishment your body needs to operate through the night and into the next day. The bread and wine at this communion, at this table, might not add a day to your life, nutrition-wise, but will bring eternity to your life as a whole. That's because Christ's body is united with the bread and His blood is united with the wine. That's what communion means, united together, which is redundant, but physical and spiritual things are united as one in this case. And we do this together as a congregation of believers who have set aside this place and certain times just for this meal for the purpose of receiving its benefits, namely the forgiveness of sins, which you won't receive through the meal on your dinner table at home. Jesus took a piece of bread as they were eating on that Thursday, and he blessed it. Now, the gospel writers don't say what the blessing was, but it more than likely went something like this. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who creates the grains for our nourishment. Then he gave his disciples the bread, and they each broke a piece of it off, and he said it was his body. Eat it. He did the same with the cup of wine, and said it was his blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Drink it. Notice he blesses the bread with the, with the traditional Jewish blessing with, which thanks God for the nourishment of the body it brings. But he also identifies the bread with his body and the wine with his blood. This is no regular meal. There's a communion of elements here. A physical thing united as one to a spiritual thing. How can this be? Well, it's a mystery to our human minds. We can't explain it through scientific analysis. We simply trust what Jesus says it it promises. Forgiveness and eternal life. And that's good news. But Jesus didn't only say, this is my body and this is my blood. He also said, take and eat it. Take and drink it. He gave it to his disciples and told them to eat and drink. So there's a 
a communion between bread and Christ's body and between wine and Christ's blood, when we eat and drink these in His name, we receive Christ Himself. He's, he's in these things and He's in us. There's no closer communion than that. Muslims say, God is as close to you as the vein on your neck. Well, that's pretty close. But not as close as Christ is to us in the supper. In other religions, God is aloof. Remember what that means? Cold and distant. You'll never get close to Him, and He'll never come to you. But in this supper, Christ comes to us, and because He is holy... His holy presence lives inside us. This is why we call this Holy Communion. He makes us holy before God the Father through His Holy Spirit. It's for forgiveness of everything we've done against God and failing to obey Him, do His will, love one another, and Him, and, and everything else. It's a supper not for sinless people. There aren't any of those anyway but for sinners like you and me and everyone, all people everywhere. You won't receive forgiveness in this supper if you're arrogantly superior and disdainful of others because of their sin. You won't receive the benefits of this meal if you believe that you've never done anything bad enough to need forgiveness or you're so good a person, why would you need to be forgiven of anything in the first place? Have we all loved the Lord our God with all our hearts and all our minds? Have we all loved each other as ourselves? You won't receive the life-giving food and drink, which is Christ's body and blood, if you don't believe it's for you. In fact, you could receive the opposite if you believe it's not for you. You could receive judgment. That's according to Paul, who taught the first Christians to keep communion as it is from Jesus' teaching. And don't mess around with it. Don't change it into something else. Something bad could happen to you if you do that. People have asked me, well, what? You know, what, what's the judgment if I, have, if I take communion to my harm, as Paul says? Well, that's a good question. The best answer is the judgment Paul talks about is something you don't want. So stay with the teaching that you've received and repent of your sins before you partake in this supper. We all just did that as a group, so we're good to go. But if, you, if you've sinned in thought, word, and deed in the last 12 minutes, say, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. And he will. We eat Christ's body and drink his blood in view of his mercy, recognizing that in this meal, that's what we receive, mercy. Every time we gather around the table of the Lord and commune together, we partake in the community which God has made us together as one with Him at the center, as the head. Paul says we are to do this often. As often as you, drink, or, uh, you eat this bread and drink the cup, you publicly announce the Lord's death until He returns. Think about that for a moment. We publicly announce the Lord's death and His impending return. 
I hear comments from people that the church is not vocal enough in society. We should be standing up and saying no to the way our culture is going in the public square. We should. But you know, Christians have been doing that for 2,000 years, communing at the altar. It's a public announcement. God comes to us in this meal, but we also announce that He is Lord and He died to save the world. We announce this for all to see and hear when we commune. Now, sure, we're in a sanctuary, so who's going to see us and hear us but each other, right? Atheists and non-believers and people not knowing Jesus are not watching and hearing our public announcement that Jesus died and will return. But we take the message wherever we go outside of this place, don't we? Well, I hope so. The words we hear and repent the words we hear in church and our repenting during worship that the hymns we sing, the messages we hear, the supper we have together, it all forms us over time to be more Christ-like to the people around us. Now, if you publicly proclaim the Lord's death among the people of your church and then publicly deny God or speak contrary to His word on your social media or among your friends and coworkers, well, then there's a problem. There's some sort of disconnect there. I can't imagine that's any of you or even one. But it's possible. If that's your case, you shouldn't commune as we've already discussed. But I might be able to help you with that if you're willing. That's my job. But all systems are go to eat the body of Christ and drink His blood for the forgiveness of your sin when you believe Christ is for you that He died for you, that He rose from the grave for you and is coming back to bring you to the place He is preparing right this very moment on a new earth in the new heavens. On this holy Thursday and for all the days of our earthly life, may you and I treasure the gift of communing at the Lord's table. We receive Him in this meal and in view of God's mercy, We rejoice in it. Amen.